Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to episode 68 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. Today is Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. It was supposed to rain today and be miserable. The rain has been light and or off and on, so today has not been all too, too bad. Hopefully between hump days, I mean Wednesday's episode and today, you were able to enjoy the great outdoors with beautiful weather that wasn't too hot, wasn't too cold. It was just all around great weather, so hopefully you were able to enjoy that before today's gloomy-ish day that's starting to turn out to be a relatively decent day here in the Rhode Island area. However, thank you so much for joining me again for another episode. It is great to have you. Thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying on any platform that is your preferred platform, whether it is Spotify, Amazon, Google, Apple, or even on YouTube. Whichever platform is your favorite, whichever one you use to listen to Murph's Boston Sports Talk, I appreciate it so much for every download, listen, and enjoyment that is received. Folks, hopefully you have a great weekend coming up, which I will talk more at about the end of the episode as I like to wrap things up, especially on Fridays, with a weekend of great weather coming up. Yeah, relatively great weather, but that's not why you're here. You're not here for me to talk to you about the forecast and be a weatherman because we're here to talk about Boston sports. And today being Friday, June 25th, today is Dustin Pedroia's retirement ceremony. And before I go into anything Red Sox that happened over the past couple days or looking ahead to their weekend series against the Yankees, let's just sit down, take a moment, and talk about Dustin Pedroia. Now, I may get a little emotional, a little teary, and, you know, Dustin Pedroia was like the heart and soul, was the heart and soul of the Red Sox for like a decade. I mean, obviously his career was a little bit longer than that, it was 13 season or whatever it was, but I mean, the epitome of grind it out, get dirty, you know, play to your last out, you know, hit to your last strike was Dustin Pedroia. Now, Say what you want about Dustin Pedroia towards the end of his career, whether you think he should have retired, whether you think he should have kept rehabbing, put that aside. We're not here to talk about that. We're here to look back on Dustin Pedroia's amazing career, who easily, if this was still a thing in baseball, easily could have been the captain of this team. He had that presence, and he commanded that much respect and loyalty and effort. It was... I never got to meet the guy. I don't even think I have an autograph of him. But just hearing stories of other people meeting him and just stories you hear about Dustin Pedroia through reports and, you know, 
headlines. Seems like a great guy. You know, I wish I would be able to get to meet him one day just to, you know, pick his brain about baseball because he is a baseball guy, obviously, right? And it would have been really, really cool for him to play a couple more seasons in a different capacity. I always said that he should have transitioned maybe over to first base until J.D. Martinez either moved on or retired. And then he could have been the DH or, you know, kind of flip-flop those two guys as the DH. And I think Pedroia at first base, he still had the glove. He still had, you know, I don't want to say the quickness because of the knee, but he still had the fielding instincts and the fielding IQ. And I think that would have really served him over at first base. Yes, an undersized first baseman. However, I don't think that would have mattered at the end of the day because he would have been fantastic at picking the balls out of the dirt, which I think are more apt to be thrown from third, short, and second base than maybe a higher throw where, you know, you need a big, tall guy like a Bobby Dahlbeck who we have this year. So anyways, let's talk about Dustin Pedroia's career overall. The Red Sox uh, came out on their Twitter about 28 minutes ago. They tried to recap his career, and I'm just going to read basically what they have. You know, I didn't come up with any of these statistics, facts, or anything. This is just solely from the Red Sox Twitter account. That was released uh, a little before 1 o'clock. And his career numbers are 299 average, 365 on base percentage, 140 home runs, 394 doubles, 725 RBIs, 922 runs, 138 stolen bases, 549 extra base hits, and 2,649 total bases. I wonder how many total hits he had in his career. They didn't mention that. Uh, let's go look that up real quick. But one thing about the uh, the average, though, is during the years that he did try to come back and rehab and play a couple games, and he just was abysmal, just dipped his batting average below 300. Oh, it would have been so nice, and it would have felt amazing to actually finish your career with a 300 or higher average. Obviously, because I mentioned this before, you just don't see it anymore. 280 is like the new 300, and you know, 300 was always the mark for hitters to hit but now it's just like you know hitting for contact and average it seemed like an old archaic thing nowadays and uh age of home runs or nothing right so uh what was it his total hits do i get that yeah he had 1805 total hits in his career so oh so close to 2000 but listen 1800 hits 805 excuse me Good number, right? 13 years, you know, say he plays another five years, you may be looking at 2,500. That, that's really good. Obviously, that's a projection and you're, you know, fantasizing, but those career numbers that I just read to you, really solid for 13 years. Being, a, you know, a second baseman, smaller kind of guy, a lot of people doubted you, turned a hell of a career out of it. He is a three-time World Series champion in 2007, 13, and 18. He won the 2008 AL MVP, the 2007 AL Rookie of the Year, four-time AL All-Star in 2008, 2009, 2010, 2013. He's a four-time Rawlings Gold Glove Award winner in 2008, 11, 13, and 14. Obviously, him and Robinson Cano kind of went back and forth a little bit during uh, that time because Cano was the other great defensive second baseman at that time before Jose Altuve really started to come into the game and start making a name for himself. Then once Cano kind of went over to Seattle, you know, his defense kind of went down a little bit because he started to get older too. And then Jose Altuve, a nice young guy, small like Pedroia, started to win some gold gloves as well. 
His four Gold Glove awards are the most ever by a Red Sox infielder. Fun fact, I did not know that. 2008 Louisville Silver Slugger Award for second baseman and 2013 MLB PAA Overall Heart and Hustle Award. So that just kind of goes off of what I was mentioning earlier about how he puts his heart and soul into the game and it was recognized in 2013. Uh, Some facts about Dustin Pedroia. His five RBIs in Game 7 of the 2007 ALCS, which was against the Cleveland Indians, is still the rookie record for most RBIs in an ALCS game. Fantastic fact. Never knew that. He is the only rookie ever to hit a leadoff home run in the World Series, which was in Game 1 of the 2007 World Series at Fenway Park. All right. The only second baseman in Red Sox history with at least 100 runs and 200 hits in a season, which he accomplished it twice in 2008 and in 2016. Wow. I was, uh, I didn't really read this beforehand, but you know, he was really good in the late 2000s, early 2010s, and then obviously he gets older, but he had a resurgence in 2016, and it was duly noted. Uh, he is one of three Red Sox ever with at least 100 home runs and 100 stolen bases as a Red Sox. So obviously Dustin Pedroia was not known for his home run prowess. He only had like, what, 145 home runs? 140 home runs. And he wasn't really a base stealer either. Every now and then you would see him go. I don't think he eclipsed more than 20 or so in a given year, maybe like 25. But he wasn't like a Jacoby Ellsbury was at that time, being a a quick, nifty, shifty base stealer. He is... One of only four Red Sox ever with 200 hits and 50 doubles in a season. I think Raphael Devers might be in that list as well. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I know Devers was close to 200 or around 2018 or 2019. And he led the league in doubles that year, I believe, as well. Anyways, in 2008, Pedroia became one of two Major League uh, Baseball second basemen ever to earn MVP Gold Glove, and Silver Slugger Award in the same season. Real quick, pause. Who do you think is the other person? This was uh, the other person won these awards in 1984. I'll give you three seconds. Three, two, one. It is Ryan Sandberg of the Chicago Cubs as him and Pedroia are the only two second basemen ever in Major League history, to win the MVP, Gold Glove, and the Silver Slugger Award in the same season. Pedroia holds the longest career errorless games and chances streak at second base in Red Sox history, without errors in 114 games and no errors in 439 chances. Pedroia holds the single-season franchise record by a second baseman in the following categories. Average at 326, runs, 118, hits, 213, doubles, 54, total bases, 322, and extra base hits, 73. And Pedroia accomplished all of those feats and records during his uh, 2008 MVP campaign. So leading the league, uh, not leading the league, but holding the franchise record for average runs, hits, doubles, total bases, and extra base hits all during his 2008 MVP season. That just shows you how fantastic of a season he had. Obviously, MVP awards nowadays, you kind of look for hitters 
with the big home run numbers or the big RBI numbers. And average is kind of an afterthought these days. However, Pedroia was able to win the award through hitting the ball, through his defense, and obviously being a player who can get extra base hits through doubles, some home runs as well. Uh, Dustin Pedroia is the only second baseman in Red Sox history with at least 100 runs and 200 hits in a single season, which he accomplished those feats in 2008 and in 2016. So that is a good little career uh, recap of Dustin Pedroia, who is getting a retirement ceremony tonight at Fenway Park as the Red Sox host the Yankees for game one of a three-game series. Now, what I wish tonight was, was a jersey number retirement ceremony. I just don't see anybody else wearing number 15. Let's see. In recent memory, you retired David Ortiz, Pedro Martinez, Wade Boggs, Jim Rice. Do you? No one's going to wear those numbers again. And when they weren't retired, you knew no one was going to wear those numbers again, except for Wade Boggs' 26, where Brock Holt was wearing it, and then the Red Sox eventually retired it due to what Wade Boggs was able to do in Boston for... 11 12 seasons however long he was here winning five six batting titles or whatever it was playing good defense no one's gonna wear 15 again it's just plain and simple no one's gonna wear 49 again tim wakefield's number no one's gonna wear 33 which is veritech's old number people are still wearing 24 manny ramirez's number but i i don't know i i kind of think they would retire that number for dwight evans over manny first but that's a conversation for another day. You just look, I mean, Veritech still works for the Red Sox as a catcher, bullpen, pitching coach. I don't exactly, well, not the pitching coach, but he works with the pitchers and catchers as a form of an assistant. So he still wears his number, which I understand it not being retired. But Johnny Pesky, when he was still alive, you know, RIP Johnny Pesky, he would be in the dugout sometimes, you know, helping out here and there as, you know, an older gentleman with his number six jersey on. But his number was retired by the Red Sox in like 2008, I want to say. Don't quote me on that. But I really I really wish that this was a jersey number retirement ceremony for Pedroia. I absolutely think he deserves it. And like I said, before Ortiz, when Ortiz retired and before they announced that his jersey was going to get retired, you know, during the whole 2016 season, you knew that it was going to happen, that his number 34 would go up with the greats. You knew that Pedro Martinez 45 was eventually going to go up with the greats. Maybe not at first, but over time, when you see people not wearing it, it's kind of like a hint. You know, we're kind of waiting on Tim Wakefield's 49 to get thrown up there as well. He's a two-time champion, a couple all-star appearances, been with the team for, what was it, 15 seasons or whatever as a uh, dependable, reliable knuckleballer. And then Jason Veritek, you know, his number is going to get retired as well. Might as well just retire Pedroia's number. And that's what I wish tonight was because I think, A, he deserves it. I mean, he gave everything to this organization, heart and soul. When he signed that big, well, I guess at the time it was a big contract. He took a pay cut, like $14 million a year or whatever it was at that time. His market value could have easily, at that time, when he signed that extension in twenty. 12 I want to say it was his market value at the time could easily been north of 20 million dollars if he was to hit the open market but he took a pay cut to stay in Boston because he loved the city and the city reciprocated that love for him 
when I mean, could his uh, could an announcement be made that the Red Sox will retire number fifteen tonight? You know, oh, Dustin Pedroia's career, you know, through all this and all that, you know, I think it's best that the Red Sox organization make sure no one wears that number again, and then they'll have him back at Fenway Park maybe later in the season. Sure, I would like that. Yeah, I would absolutely love that. And if that's the direction they go in, then damn, congratulations and you know, hell of a story. But if they don't do that, it's going to kind of be a slap in the face. Because if I'm Pedroia, I would low-key expect my number to be retired. I low-key would. Yeah, I low-key would. I mean, the rule of thumb, I guess, is around you know 8 to 10 years with an, org- uh, an organization to get your number retired. I know Pedro was only with the Red Sox for 8 seasons. But you look at everyone else who spent you know over 10 years or at least 10 years with the team. They deserved it, you know, in their own essence, whether it's Williams, Cronin, Yastrzemski, Fisk, whoever. They all deserved it. And I think Pedroia's in that class, too. Look at everything he's done. The average, the on-base percentage, the extra base hits, the defense. You know, he was a leader. Those are all things that you should look for in a legend for your franchise. And and that franchise should recognize that player by making sure no one wears that number ever again here in Boston. So again, tonight is Dustin Pedroia's retirement ceremony where he will be honored by the Red Sox organization tonight at Fenway Park before the Yankees gain the first game of three where the Yankees are in town. I'm definitely going to be tuning in. I cannot wait to see Pedroia back at Fenway because I very hurt of how his career did end after the whole knee injury, rehabbing, you know, getting setbacks, derailed, coming back then getting re-injured you know the last three or so years in his first career was kind of a waste and a wash and you would have loved to see it play out you really would have because you know he would he would have made a huge impact on that 2018 team where the Red Sox wouldn't have to go out and trade for Ian Kinsler they would have just had Pedroia 2019 the team could have been a little bit better who knows so I'm very excited for Dustin Pedroia and I think you should be as well and I want to hear your thoughts down below or reaching out to me through social media at Murphs underscore Boston ST, where the ST stands for Sports Talk. I want to know your favorite Dustin Pedroia memory. It could be being at the ballpark and he signed a baseball for you. It could be, you know, watching on TV. He made a great diving play, hit a home run, whatever it may be. I want to hear your favorite Dustin Pedroia memory, moment, Uh, whatever it may be. So reach out to me on social media or if you're watching this on YouTube, comment down below. I want to hear your favorite memory of the laser show. (laughs) I just startled bogey. (laughs) All right. So with that out of the way, let's move on to the Boston Red Sox who I said this on Wednesday. I said this on Wednesday have consistency issues hitting the baseball. They do. Yeah, it's cool to score 9, 11 runs, whatever. It's cool to score 8 runs. It's awesome to score 15. It does you no good if you can't score runs on a consistent basis because one day your pitching is going to fail or it's going to suck. Look at Garrett Richards, uh, not last night, but the night before in Game 2. He sucked. 
it's going to happen. But if you can consistently score three, four runs a game, roughly, maybe five, tick up to eight every now and then, or, you know, if you're unfortunate enough, you go down to two runs, but you're still able to win a you know good pitching game. That makes sense. That makes sense. But the Red Sox lost to the Tampa Bay Rays one to nothing last night down the trough, losing the series two of three and losing first place who are now are in second place by half a game. Nick Pavetta had a no-hitter through six and two-thirds innings and got pulled. Six and two-thirds innings, this guy had a no-hitter. Didn't It meant nothing because the Red Sox weren't scoring any runs. Then Josh Taylor finished out the uh, seventh inning, finishing that with the no-hitter still intact, and Darwins and Hernandez did give up the first hit to the Rays. I don't know who it was to. Um, it was Man- uh, Manuel Margot, I think it was. I'm not. No, Kevin Kiermaier, I believe he like hit a double or some shit. So, oh, that's the wrong game. No, no, go back to the other game. Go back to the other game. There we go. The bullpen, they did fine. I mean, obviously Matt Barnes comes in the ninth inning to get uh get the game to extra innings, and he does blow it there by the Rays winning on a pass ball out of all things. I saw the thing on my phone. I was like, oh, they hit a damn walk-off home run. And I look at it, it's a pass ball. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? The bullpen, generally speaking, I think is okay. I don't know if it's a strength. I don't know if it's a strength. But, I mean, giving up one run to the Tampa Bay Rays over the course of nine innings, if you look at it for what it is, that's really good. That's really, really good. But having a no-hitter into the uh, eighth inning does absolutely nothing. Does absolutely nothing when you can't score any runs. And speaking of scoring runs, how about just hitting the ball? The Rays had two hits all night. Two hits all night and were still able to win one to nothing. And they only had three walks. So it's not like they had ten walks. They had runners on the on the bases all the time. Granted, the Red Sox did have two errors in that game. But come on, guys. The Red Sox are uh, Chavis got a walk. Uh, Verdugo got a walk. Bogart's got a walk. And Devers got two walks. So there's five walks right there. Five base runners. Four free. Along with your four hits where uh, Jumbo Don got one, Hunter Renfro got one, and Christian Vasquez got two. So all together, you had nine people on base throughout the entirety of the game with all things considered when you add up hits and walks. Nine. And you can't score a goddamn run. One. All you needed was one. I mean, I guess hypothetically you needed two, but just to go into the bottom of the ninth inning with already one run, make it a save situation, put the pressure on the Rays instead of the pressure on you. It's disgusting. It really is disgusting. I mentioned this on Wednesday, how they have consistency issues. They cannot just go game in and game out, scoring no runs, scoring one run, and then just exploding for nine runs here and there. That's not how teams win. That's not how championships are won. This team needs a resurgence, a boost. Enrique Hernandez, Kike, 0 for 4. Bobby Dahlbeck, 0 for 2. Marwin Gonzalez pinched hit for Bobby Dahlbeck. He went 0 for 1 as well. Michael Chavis, who led off the game, went 0 for 3. I mean, the Red Sox need to do something here. They need 
to do something. Maybe they do bring down Bobby Dahl back to Worcester, let him get some you know playing time down there, work on some things maybe. And maybe you bring up Jaron Duran. I, I don't know. Maybe you go out and make a trade and just say, screw it. Maybe Durant uh, isn't ready. Bobby Dahlbeck clearly isn't ready. He's struggling big time. But something has to be done. Because you cannot rely on Verdugo, Martinez, Bogarts, Endeavors, night in and night out. Because yes, as great as hitters they are, sometimes they will fail. Sometimes they will have cold games. I mean, Martinez went one for four. Okay. Bogarts went 0 for 3, but at least he had a walk. Devers went 0 for 2, but he had two walks. So, And then uh, Verdugo went 0 for 3, and he had a walk. So in some capacity, they're still getting on base. In some capacity, all four of them got on base at least once. I mean, it's the rest of your lineup that's not doing it. And Christian Vasquez, I, I'm going to exclude him from this one because he went 2 for 3 last night, and he's having a... A decent season so far. Um, let's see, what is his average this year? His average is 259, but let's not forget, he's not a offensive catcher. He's more of a defensive guy. That's kind of what he's been his whole career, and he's had some pop here and there. Okay? But generally speaking, he is a defensive catcher. And him hitting 259 this year, I'll take it. <laughs> I seriously will take it. I will take it and run. But come on. I, I, I still have the stats in front of me. Obviously, not including these past couple games. Where do the stats go? Where do the stats go? Oh, um, hold on. I, I lost the page. Hold on. I'll get there. Here we go. Verdugo, Cordero, Renfro, Chavis, Martinez, Hernandez, Santana, Gonzalez. All hitting 232 this year. All seven guys have played at least one game in the outfield and are hitting 232 combined. I mean, something needs to be done with this outfield. You're not going to move Verdugo anytime soon, so he's going to be a staple, whether it's left, center, or right. Hunter Renfro is having a relatively decent season this year. He's had nine home runs, and he's hitting 260 with 34 RBIs. For someone that's 29 and he's signing for a one-year contract, that's not that bad. I mean, you'll take that. You will take that for sure. But going back, you brought up uh, Michael Chavis. You signed Kike Hernandez. You signed Marwin Gonzalez. You signed and brought up Danny Santana. These guys aren't performing. They're not performing. You need someone who can consistently hit the ball. And right now in your lineup, you do not have a batting average go-getter kind of guy. J.D. Martinez is kind of that guy, and he has been in years past, but he has a lot of power as well. Alexander Bogarts, high contact kind of guy, also carries some power, but you're not going to have him hitting a leadoff for second. I think right now fourth is a really good spot for him. Rafael Devers has a lot of power as well to go along with that good average of his, but you don't have anybody in your lineup that is just an average guy. I mentioned on Wednesday like a Michael Brantley. Obviously, the Astros ain't going to trade Michael Brantley, but that kind of guy, a older veteran, a lefty, high-contact kind of guy. Dustin Bedroya, high-contact kind of guy to go back to Petey. It's just almost everybody in your lineup swings for the fences, except maybe Kike Hernandez. 
But he's struggling this year. Ugh, he's struggling this year. The Red Sox need to find something that will help deliver some consistency. And right now, the Red Sox do not have that. And they will continue to lose games like this, one to nothing, two to one, in big games that they need to win. On Wednesday, they only scored two runs against the Rays while giving up eight runs. Uh, against the Royals, they lost the two games that they lost to the Royals. They only gave up, um, they only scored three runs, but gave up five and seven runs in those games. It's just, I mean, I'm just looking at you know recency. If you really want to look at it the whole season, you're hitting as a team 256, 0.256 in 2021. And believe it or not, that ranks you third in all of baseball. That ranks you freaking third in all of baseball. And the Tampa Bay Rays, who you just lost to and who are currently in first place and who you will be battling for first place with probably all year, are hitting 227, which is good for 26th. The Yankees are 235, which is good for 16th. Freaking Toronto, who's in fourth place and who's probably out of it, is hitting 261, and they're in second place in all of baseball for batting average. Guess who's in first place? Put all the means aside, the Houston Astros, 281. Granted, in their last three games, they're hitting 355. So, <laughs> let's just let's keep it, you know, let's try to keep things realistically. But the Astros, uh, they're home 270 away. They're a 292 team. That's a team that can hit the ball with consistency. And they're clearly doing it. All trash, ba- uh, trash barrels aside. They're doing it with consistency. And like they're the hottest team in baseball. They're like, what, 10 and... I, I, I got the update uh, last night or whatever it was. When was it? Uh, when was it? Oh, did I delete it? Oh, I might have deleted it. I might have deleted it. I don't know. They're like, since like May 30th or whatever, there's like 16 and something. I don't even know. Uh, let's just check the... Oh, go back to the standings. Go back to the standings. The Astros, and at least their last 10. I have their last 10 at least. They're 10 and 0. Puh, go figure, right? They're the hottest team in baseball by far, and they're 47 and 28, which is good for not best record in baseball. The Giants still hold that claim. However, Astros in the pat in all the month of June, the best team. Giants probably number two, and Red Sox they're five and five in the last ten and struggle with consistency issues. Something needs to be done. Something needs to change. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Jaron Duran's the answer. As I'd like to believe that, I'm not going to, you know, drown you with that because if, you know, he's not right now, then y'all going to be like, oh, you said Jaron Duran would be the savior of this team. And he sucks. He's back down in Worcester. We want Franchi. That's exactly what would be said. But seriously, in all seriousness, this team offensively has a consistency issue. At least with the pitching, you have something to look forward to in Chris Sale's return. Whatever your opinion is about that, you know, bring him back as soon as you can, put him in the bullpen, doesn't matter. Wait the extra month, let him come back as a starter. Maybe he can finish, you know, August and, and September as a as a really good starter for maybe eight to ten starts. Or just, you know, hold off on him until, you know, September and just whatever. Whatever your opinion is about Chris Sale. At least for the pitching side of things, 
you have Chris Sale to look forward to. Right now, the Red Sox don't have nothing to look forward to. Because their bench blows. You have Marwin Gonzalez, Danny Santana, Michael Chavis, and usually it's Kevin Plowecki, but right now it's Connor Wong. And none of them are doing anything. Yes, you're very versatile. Holy crap, Michael Chavis can play first, second, third, and left field. Marwin Gonzalez can play all over the infield and all over the outfield. Connor Wong can play catcher and a little bit of third baseman. And Danny Santana can play all the outfield, first base, and I guess DH as well. Wow, the utility is fantastic. That's great. It's awesome. But do you need four guys that are your utility guys? Kike Hernandez, Marwin Gonzalez, Danny Santana, and now Michael Chavis. Do you need that? No. Wave Santana, trade Marwin Gonzalez, figure something out because this team will start to crumble and fast because teams in baseball will probably should and are expected to hit the ball better now that the summer is here because during you know the dry hot days of summer hitting explodes and now obviously the whole controversial sticky foreign substance thing is being heavily enforced by umpires in baseball so that is going to potentially cause pitchers to suck more causing hitters to be able to hit the ball more I don't know I don't know I don't want to come back here on Monday after a three-game series with the Yankees losing two or three or getting swept and being like, well, fuck. What are we going to do? We're almost in third place and we're still having consistency issues. What do we do? What do we do? Danny Santana went, you know, 0 for 4 again. Marwin Gonzalez went 0 for 4 again. Kike Hernandez went 0 for 3 again. I don't want to do that on Monday. I don't. I want to have something good to talk talk about. And I started the episode off great talking about Dustin Pedroia and his retirement ceremony and, you know, his career accomplishments. I felt really good. I did not expect to go on this rant. However, it happened. But come Monday, if the Red Sox don't win this series against the Yankees, now I'm not going to say a sweep. That's asking a little much. Yankees are, you know, really hot past 10 games. They're 7-3 and in their past 10 games. But if they can win 2-3, of three, be in a good mood. Be in a good mood, hopefully. Hopefully it's a good weekend series, starting obviously with Pedroia's retirement ceremony, and then we're going to get a good game one, two, and three. I'm really looking forward to it, and I'm really excited about it. Obviously, all we have to really talk about is baseball right now, because baseball is the only sport that's going on. Hockey news will trickle in, basketball news will trickle in, football news will trickle in, in accordance to the Bruins, the Patriots, and the Celtics. That will come as it comes up. And speaking of the Celtics, they did hire a new coach officially. Actually, it was on Wednesday. They made this announcement like an hour or two after I finished recording. So go figure, right? But the Celtics have officially hired Brooklyn former Brooklyn Nets assistant Ime Udoka, who has been, I don't want to say around the league, but he was under Popovich for a little bit. And then he was with the 76ers and then with the Nets last year. So he does have a good track record. He has some good experience as an assistant coach, and I really think he's going to perform well as the Celtics head coach. And here's a snippet. I'm going to play a snippet from Felger and Maz on 98.5, where Maz goes into some good depth about 
what Udoka brings and what the Celtics are trying to do for the 21-22 season. And I really want to pick it apart because he makes some good points that are extremely valued, uh, valid. His new head coach. I like the fact that apparently, based on what Jeff Goodman has reported, that there's an edge, quote-unquote, to his personality. Uh, he's a defensive guy, which I think they could use. But I would also, the thing that is also valuable to me, they played for this guy. Right, Brown, uh, Tatum, and uh, and but Smart played for this guy in Team USA at the World Championships. And so, look, I'm just reading from Adrian Wojnarowski. Was was he the head coach or was he an assistant he for Popovich? Was a, he was an assistant. And so, um, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski's Twitter says Udoka separated himself quickly in Brad Stevens's search process, including significant support from Celtics players who were impressed with Udoka after working under him with Team USA in the world championships then when he was done playing finally played one year in europe in 2012 uh, he came back it was an assistant for popovich from 2012 to 2019 so that's sort of where he got his formative coaching chops which is i think a great spot you know that's good then he went to the sixers uh, for a year and this last year in brooklyn and there you go here's what i do feel that they're trying to change sort of the whole culture and chemistry in their locker room so you're bringing Horford back, you're bringing Udoka in. Like when I say bringing Horford back, I think Horford is serious. I think he's a serious yeah, no, no, player. He's a, he's a pro. And so clearly they said we're going to bring in a new leader and we're going to bring another guy who's going to bring some credibility in the room. So like I said, that is a snippet from Felger and Maz where I guess both Felger and Maz kind of go into uh, briefly about Ime Udoka and what he brings to the table and just a little bit about his career. And I really find that snippet interesting because of four different things. And I'm sure you're able to pick up on the four major points that were made. Udoka has a strong philosophy on defense and having a defensive edge on the court during the game. That philosophy is really something that has kind of eluded the Celtics in previous seasons, kind of really focusing on the defensive aspect of the game instead of just chucking up shots and scoring the bucket. However, the that's only 50% of the game. The other 50% is defense being competitive, having that edge to you. And I really feel like that, you know, edge, I'm emphasizing edge because when you watch the Celtics games the past couple seasons, they just seem like another team. There's nothing that really makes them stand out from any other team that you could be watching over, you know, across the NBA, right? Uh, He coached under Popovich over in San Antonio, Greg Popovich. Uh, Ime Udoka was an assistant coach from 2012 to 2019, I believe Felger was saying. So was that 7, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Eight years. Eight years coaching or assistant coaching under Greg Popovich over in San Antonio. The great coach that Popovich is. It is fantastic and an experience to learn from under Greg Popovich. I really feel like that a lot of assistant coaches, or I guess coaches in general, will kind of stem from Popovich, not just now, moving forward, and in years past as well. So having the tutelage from Greg Popovich to kind of help influence your own philosophy, your own schematics, your own strategy, and your own culture is a great place to start from, especially being a rookie head coach here in the NBA. Third, is the support from the Celtics players. Tatum, Brown, Smart, all support the signing, uh, I guess the hiring of Udoka. They played under him uh, Played under him during Team USA 
They have a connection. They have a bond. They have some chemistry with him from the time that they spent for Team USA. So Stevens made this hiring because they got the okay from Tatum, Brown, and Smart, which I think is kind of, uh, generally speaking, it shouldn't be necessary. But in an age where the players have so much control in the NBA, having that support from your, I guess, your three stars at this point, which is Tatum, Brown, and Smart, you kind of need them to give the okay because in the NBA, if a general manager or the owner has to choose between the coach and a superstar, they're picking the superstar 10 times out of 10 because you can easily find someone to go coach. You cannot easily find a superstar. So when you hear that, oh, they're having some coaching issues here and some coaching issues there, that conversation should not be had here anymore in Boston. Now, there were some rumors and some spoils that there was some coaching uh, discrepancies between Stevens and the players, or I guess a mindset discrepancy between Stevens and the players over the past couple seasons. But now, with Stevens being the president of basketball operations and Ime Udoka being the now the new head coach, with the support of Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart, the chemistry and the culture should all really start to boil up into something that we love to know as Celtics Nation. Obviously, I kind of alluded to culture change. You bring in Udoka. You bring back Al Horford. Al Horford is a savvy veteran at this point who was a great leader and a mentor when he was here with the Celtics previously um, three years ago. Obviously, he still kind of has that presence. He's a great locker room guy, great personality. He's not going to go you know, stir the pot in a negative manner. So bringing in, bringing back Al Horford, bringing in Udoka, you're really starting to formulate a good culture in the Celtics locker room, which you thought you were going to be getting when you brought in Kemba Walker after Kyrie Irving walked out the door, hoping that Kyrie Irving, um, hoping that Kemba Walker would be that culture change. However, that clearly didn't work after two seasons. So bringing in Horford, bringing in Udoka. You're really starting to see that culture change in the Celtics organization, locker room, on the court, wherever it may be. And hopefully we can see a fantastic Celtics organization, team, culture, roster, whatever it may be for the 21-22 season. But in terms of culture, we really haven't seen a good Celtics culture since the... hmm. Since the 2016-17 season, which was Isaiah Thomas's last year with the Celtics, I'm not saying I'm not gonna say, guys, I'm not gonna say bring back Isaiah Thomas. I've already beaten that horse. I've already said that a million times. Although I think they should, but I'm not saying that. But just look back at that 2016-17 season before they traded Isaiah Thomas, before they traded Jay Crowder to Cleveland Cavaliers. For Kyrie Irving, before they brought in Gordon Hayward, it was Isaiah, it was um, Jalen Brown, it was Jay Crowder, it was Al Horford, it was uh, Tatum wasn't there at the time. That culture that we had in Boston when you made it to the Eastern Conference Finals against the Cavaliers and lost four games to one, besides that, beside, besides the point, that, that's besides the point, that's just a fact, that's when the Celtics culture was thriving when you had a bunch of underdog players 
that no one expected you to, you know, go to game five against the Cavaliers, who at the time were at the top of their game. No one expected it. But you did it anyways, and you were able to be easily rooted and cheered on because of the culture, because of the players, your attitude, your effort, your culture, all of it. Because you guys were underdogs. And I'm not saying I want the Celtics to be underdogs. I'm just saying when you have that mentality where you have to give 110% night in and night out on every single play, having that culture mindset is crucial. And hopefully with Horford back, with Udoka now the coach, and other moves that are still to come, hopefully the culture for the 21-22 Boston Celtics will be exceptional. And hopefully it is something that we can really look forward to for the next couple of seasons as we get to see Brown and Tatum mature even more, as we get to see the current younger guys, the Naismith, the Langfords on our team, uh, Robert Williams, the Time Lord, as they start to uh, grow and progress as National Basketball Association players. Really interested to see. I like this hiring of Ime Udoka for the Boston Celtics. I really think he brings a lot of good intangibles to the team. Bringing in Al Horford now makes a little more sense when you look at it. When you're really looking to drive home culture, locker room, you know, leadership, right? That's what you're trying to really hammer home, which is something that it feels like has lacked the past few seasons with, you know, Kyrie in the, on your team, Kemba, you know, that experiment failing, the Gordon Hayward thing kind of, you know, blowing up in your face due to the, you know, horrific injury. But with all that being said, I like these two moves by Brad Stevens, the trading of Kemba for Horford and other pieces. And then the hiring of Brooklyn Nets, uh, former Brooklyn Nets assistant coach, Ime Udoka. I like the vision that Brad Steven has right now as the president of basketball operations for the Boston Celtics. I'm really looking forward to what other moves are to be made in the near future. Guys, that is all my thoughts, my opinion, and my take. I want to hear yours. Reach out to me on social media. Comment down below on YouTube. Let me know what you think, whether it's about... Pedroia, the Red Sox, or Ime Udoka being the new Celtics head coach. Reach out. I want to hear your thoughts, opinion, comments, concerns, whatever it may be. Let's have a conversation. Let's have a discussion. Let's have a debate. Hell, let's even have an argument. I don't care. Sports. It's Boston sports, right? Guys, that's going to do it for me here on Friday. But before I go, I do want to ask you again and again to please download, listen, and enjoy. And if you're watching on YouTube, please like the video if you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, comment down below like I've been preaching. And also hit that big red subscribe button if you're new to the channel or haven't considered subscribing yet. I really would appreciate the support that way. And folks, I'm your host, James Murphy. Have a fantastic weekend. If you have anything that you want to talk about over the weekend or just in general, reach out to me on social media at Murphs underscore Boston ST where the ST stands for sports talk. I just ran out of characters, guys. You only get 15 characters on social media handles. Murphs Boston sports talk is just a little too long. But you know what? It is what it is. We'll make it work. Also, before I go, don't forget, major announcement. From last episode, no more Wednesday episodes. It's only going to be Monday and Fridays moving forward for the time being. Obviously, with the uh, the lack of Boston sports, or I guess just in sports in general, obviously with me starting to plan, implement, and push forward with the shop soon, more details about that to come. 
But with all that being considered, Murph's Boston Sports Talk will only air with new episodes on Monday and Friday. No more hump day, unfortunately. I'm sorry. But I think this is for the better. I think this is a good change for the podcast in general. But with that being said, have a great weekend. Enjoy yourself. Be outside. And I will catch you on Monday's episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. But between now and then, you guys know that I love you. And you know that I will always see you.